Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. It is the 1st of December. Yep, yep, it's December. I know, I can hardly believe it myself. Uh, There were things that I intended to do in November that, you know, frankly didn't get done. And some of those things were things I had intended to do in October. So, you know, we're sort of at the, well, you know, there's the last stretch of road between here and the end of the year. So I don't know about you, but um, the the pile on list has begun. Like, all right, these are the things that I absolutely committed to do in 2021. And, hmm. Now I'm uh, I'm in the uh, hmm. yeah it's the last twelfth it's not even the last tenth anymore it's the last it, it's, it's the end of the last quarter so here we go um, so it is also the first day of our reading through the Gospel of Luke together so if you have not yet signed up please go to myfaithradio.com and sign up to participate with us we have a daily podcast we have a downloadable free um, reading guide. We have a bookmark, which, you know, now, of course, it'll be a little late to send you, but uh, you can make your own in terms of checking off each and every day that you are reading the requisite chapter with us. So today's reading is Luke chapter one. I want to uh, talk uh, about a news story about a news story in my lead off this morning. And the reason that I chose this as this morning's lead off topic is that my first conversation partner today is Jeff Bilbro. And Jeff's book, you will remember, is Reading the Times, a literary and theological inquiry into the news. He is a person who thinks about the news from a Christian worldview and is helping us do so as well. So I thought uh, of all the things that we might lead off with this morning, I would lead off with uh, an, a news story about the news making news. So um, a member of the news media has, like, become news more frequently than, you know, I think should be the case, right? So I don't think that those of us in the media at any level should be the subject of the news. Like, we should be the people who are helping others understand and engage with what's going on in the world. We shouldn't become the center of that attention, but that's what has happened. A high-profile member of the news media is at the center of the news uh, today. His name is Chris Cuomo, and he has been CNN's most-watched primetime host for some time now. Yesterday, his staff was preparing for their two-hour show, uh, and in the midst of their preparations, they learned, along with everyone else, that the network was placing Chris Cuomo on immediate and indefinite leave. So the production team for Anderson Cooper's 360 found themselves... Uh, in need of producing an additional two hours of programming last night. Like, hmm, right now, get to it, jump, jump. So um, CNN's emails this morning read in part, quote, the documents released by Letitia James' office on Monday, that would be the office that is prosecuting the former governor, Andrew Cuomo, 
uh, showed that the veteran journalist, that would be Chris Cuomo, has more was more intimately involved in shaping his brother Andrew Cuomo's defense than was previously known. Here is uh, then a direct quote from CNN's announcement. The documents, which we were not privy to before their public release, raise serious questions. When Chris admitted to us that he had offered advice to his brother's staff, he broke the rules and we acknowledge that publicly, but we also appreciated the unique position he was in and understood his need to, listen to this part, put family first and job second. However, and by the way, this is a giant however in CNN's statement, these documents point to a greater level of involvement in his brother's efforts than we previously knew. As a result, we have suspended Chris indefinitely pending further evaluation. So that's CNN's statement. I want to look at a couple of things here from a Christian worldview. First, um, I have heard Chris Cuomo say on air that his family comes first. He's been totally clear about that. What's wrong with that, you ask? Well, the problem is family does not come first. Like, it doesn't. Before family, in terms of priorities, this is a Christian worldview here. I'm not saying this is Chris Cuomo's view. I'm saying this is a Christian worldview. Um, before family, in terms of our priorities, is God. And with God, the truth I mean, I I expressly remember when Jesus's brothers and his mother came to get him, like they didn't think that what he was doing, you know, like they got lots of questions. And so they came to get him. He was teaching. He was attracting not only a crowd, but he was attracting what they viewed as like negative attention from the Roman and religious authorities of the day. And what did Jesus say when they arrived to get him? He said, hey, look around. These people who are listening to me, these are my mother and my brothers, those who do the will of the father. Now, that is a crazy, radical redefinition of family, but it's Jesus's radical redefinition of family based on his kingdom priorities, not the priorities of this world. And so, I mean, ask yourself today, does my family come first or do I think like Jesus um, when it comes to what comes first and my priorities? That is a really hard question to ask and answer. Okay, quick second point here. It builds on the first. If God is my first priority, If the will of God provides not only the compass and the North Star, but the moment-by-moment rhythm of my life, then telling the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me, God, is literally my way of life. That's what I want from journalists, by the way. I want the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. I don't want their view corrupted by their social location, political ideology, or family relationships. I want the truth, unvarnished, unedited, unspun, I want the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. Chris Cuomo, in my view, lost touch with that most basic of journalistic principles. And in that, he is not alone, which leads me to my third and final point before we bring on uh, Jeff Bilbro today. Um, There's a lot of fallout because there were a lot of people riding the coattails of Andrew Cuomo. Who we connect ourselves to matters. To my count, the fallout from Andrew Cuomo's disintegration and resulting scandal include not only his brother, Chris, now suspended from CNN, and Chris's whole team, but the woman who lost her job as the CEO of Time's Up, the man who was fired from the human rights campaign, two attorneys who had been long-term advisors to the governor, not to mention, again, the layers and constellations of people who worked for those people, and so on and so on. The sin of one has a ripple effect, not only within their family, but on the lives of many other people. And so let us consider that today. Let us consider the concentric layers of sin required to insulate a sinner from being exposed and how that affects the systems 
we have created that perpetuate injustice of many forms in the culture today. Yep, it's a bigger conversation than a guy named Chris got suspended from hosting a show on CNN. Jeff Bilbro's up next. We'll be right back. All right, I love talking with Jeff Bilbro. He's back from Grove City College. You can um, connect with all of his great stuff at Jeff Bilbro, B-I-L-B-R-O dot com, including his book, Reading the Times, A Literary and Theological Inquiry into the News, and um, his his most excellent, uh, well, it's called The Water Dipper. So it's just an excellent aggregation of things we all ought to be reading. You can find it at French, frontporchrepublic.com, but you can also get there just as easily from jeffbilbro.com. Jeff, welcome back. Thanks. Good to be back with you, Carmen. Yeah, it's great to have you. Let's um, let's talk about the great resignation, um, the lasting effect that the pandemic is going to have in terms of work. Yeah, this was an interesting essay by Derek Thompson at uh, The Atlantic. He's always writing about technology and uh, workforce stuff. And I think a lot of folks have been talking about this. And you know, I don't know what, what the fallout's going to be, but uh, one of the, I think, perhaps silver linings of the the shuffle brought about by the pandemic is that um, perhaps fewer people will be stuck in jobs they don't want. And maybe some folks uh, will be able to work remotely and uh, live and live with their families or in their, you know, their communities and not have to go to a major metropolis to, to land, um, land employment. I am, um, I have noted um, people are more patient because they recognize that the people who are laboring in the environments where we need service workers, like we don't want those people to quit. Yeah, uh, I agree. <laughs> so I, I think we're much more patient. We wait longer to get a table. We wait longer at the table. Yeah. We tip better. Um, I, I just, you know, yeah. And I think you're totally right uh, in terms of the evaluation of where we work and how long we work where we work or maybe how we work out working remotely. I mean, on and on yeah. and on. I think that... Um, yeah, I I think we're not going back to like everybody going to the office um, from this time in the morning till this time in the evening. I think we have said, you know, we want to do our laundry in the middle of the day. Yeah, and maybe that's you know that's good if the home becomes uh, a place that we spend more time in and spend more time with our families and children uh, and neighbors, and that might be uh, a net positive. Although, you know, certainly there are benefits to to working in person with your colleagues, but. Maybe those relationships don't need to trump everything else. I get to work in person with my colleagues next week because we're going to do um, our winter fundraiser. And so it's one of the times that I get to actually like go yeah. be in studio. I'm totally looking forward to it. Yeah. Um, all right, Jeff, I know that's early in our conversation, but let's take a very brief break. When we come back, um, love to talk about this piece in uh, American Magazine about the supply chain crisis and how it might save Christmas. That's an interesting conversation to have. We'll be right back. I heard the bells on Christmas Day Their old familiar carols play Okay, we almost never do this during this hour um, and almost uh, never on Wednesday, but we've got a couple of copies of Jeff Bilbro's book uh, on Paul's shelf, and so we're going to have Giveaway Wednesday right now. So go ahead and text the word BOOK to 877-933-2484 and get one of the remaining two 
copies of Jeff Bilbro's book that we have in studio. I mean, how fun is that? All right, it's it's unofficially Giveaway Wednesday. Um, Jeff, let's talk about what's going on this Christmas in terms of shopping. I don't know about you. I have made my list. I have a budget I'm supposed to be working by. I've pretty much already blown my budget, but I have 19 people that I'm supposed to be buying for. So, you know, let's talk with us about um, the approach to Christmas giving. Oh, that sounds exhausting. I hope uh, I hope you survive. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's such a great season for generosity, for giving to others, for, uh, you know, thinking about what other people whom we care about might want and love. And that's that is one of the great parts about Christmas. But uh, obviously, a lot of people talk about the consumerization and how it can be exhausting. And we end up maybe just buying uh, buying some product uh, to give to somebody. And, you know, sometimes. Uh, there's less thought and uh, it's more fulfilling an obligation. So I really appreciate this piece by by Tish uh, Oxenrider about how perhaps supply chain hiccups and delays, uh, the possibility that some products we want aren't going to be available, might push us, prod us to um, think about what kinds of gifts we could make or uh, experiences we could put together for people whom we love. Uh, and make it more uh, personal and involve ourselves more in the act of giving so that it's not just a monetary thing we purchase and and give someone, but uh, something that we invest some of our time and creativity and our our personal energies into the very act of uh, making the gift. So I love that. So we are embracing the, hey, let's do things together, experiential um, idea. Um, I have a granddaughter who is like at that prime age to go see the Nutcracker for the first time. Oh, so, um, so the gift part of that, um, you know, is time together with uh, with Grandpa and Grandma Carmen, going for an afternoon, seeing the Nutcracker, um, maybe maybe buying some little remembrance token right. from the Nutcracker or related to that. Um, but she understands that on Christmas, then she's unwrapping that experience. Like that yeah. that's that that's part a huge part of her gift this year. But she's an experienced kid. So like I think for her, the memory making is gonna be way more important and and potentially like the tradition establishing, like right, maybe this becomes a tradition. Maybe it's something yeah. she loves and we do again. Um and then for um for our like kids who are already parents and therefore they have families, you know, part of what we're doing is giving them time to be together with each other. And so some of that is going to be maybe our going with them on a vacation where we can keep their kids, you know, part of the time and they can actually have a partial vacation. Like we're trying to figure things out like that, that for for most of our kids, it's about time at this point. Yeah, I think that's uh, first of all, you're meeting their real need, it sounds like. And second of all, it's as you say, it's oftentimes a more meaningful uh, gift and uh, it's something that takes time and thought on your part, uh, energy to, to watch, you know, watch kids. And uh, but it's oftentimes then uh, more meaningful than just giving somebody a, a plastic wrapped product. Yeah. And I might get a trip out of Disney to it, too, at some point. You there, know, you there you go. Win, win. Um, all right. So let's talk about the, the vaccine moment. Um, where 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 are we? Oh, man, this is, uh, you know, there's so many essays being written about this and, and so many of them. It's such a fraught subject. 
But I did really appreciate this piece by Paul Kingsnorth, uh, who I think is a really necessary and, and thoughtful Christian voice right now from the UK. Uh, and, and, you know, he's writing from Europe where they've experienced a lot more um, stringent lockdowns and different kinds of vaccine requirements than we have in the U.S. So I think that's an important distinction. But, um, you know, he just he says, look, it's not that, that maybe the vaccines are OK, but why are we having this such a uh, technocratic regime that is being built up around them? Um, that's really concerning. And there could be a lot of negative repercussions long term if we uh, put these systems in place for um, uh, that, that prohibit people from accessing society, uh, from working, from going to stores, from, you know, living, um, if they don't consent to, to getting this vaccine. So I, I think uh, it's obviously a very fraught, high, fraught issue. A lot of people have strong opinions about this, but I thought he did a nice job of um, of looking at the deeper political and social implications of uh, vaccine mandates of various types. Yeah, I think it's a really helpful um, uh, approach. He's not hysterical, and I think that right. having this conversation in a way that's not hysterical is really healthy. So yeah. again, if you guys um, if you guys want to read the Paul Kingsnorth piece, um, a really easy way to get there is to go to Jeff Bilbro's. Um, uh, what am I calling it? Post site thing, the yeah, water yeah. dipper, which you can find at Front Porch Republic. It, it's an ongoing thing. So the water dipper is something that is ongoing. And if you go and visit it at Front Front Porch Republic, one of the things that you can find there um, is this excellent piece that we're discussing. It's called The Vaccine Moment, Part One, on the Days of Revelation um, by Paul Kingsnorth. Um, uh, one more thing before we let you go, um, Jeff. When you when you think about the holidays that are upon us, um, when you think about the the necessity or maybe the not necessity, I don't know, of using the word Christmas. Um, can we talk about that? Can we talk about just the difference in using the word Christmas and the word holiday? You got anything to say about that? Oh man, I think it's such an interesting debate because you know, holiday means. Holy day. So it, uh, etymologically, it's also uh, religious. But yeah, you're right. In our culture, that holiday has become kind of a more uh, secularized, generic term, I guess, than Christmas. Um, so, I, I, yeah, I don't know. I have I guess it, I think it, it depends on the context. And, uh, you know, Christians shouldn't be uh, ashamed of what it is we're celebrating. But we also needn't cause offense needlessly. Uh, but I think maybe more important than the semantics is whether we are taking advantage of this season of Advent and Christmas to, um, you know, to watch, to wait, to to hone our expectancy, um, to remember Christ's first coming in a way that uh, reminds us he's coming again and prepares, you know, how are we preparing ourselves right now? for the second coming of Christ. Uh, I guess I'm thinking about this right now because we're on the first week of Advent, hope, uh, thinking about about the second coming. But, um, but yeah, Advent is such a rich season, and it's important to remember in particular what it is we're celebrating and, and remembering during this time. So um, is one of your Advent practices to focus on one of those words for a whole week? I heard you say hope. 
Yeah, uh, you know, the, the, I think cycling through those four words, uh, a hope, peace, joy, and love, and, and thinking about those kind of four facets, I guess, of, um, of the incarnation and of Christmas and of uh, Christ's first and second comings uh, is a good way of, of kind of recentering and uh, reminding myself and my family, our family, of what, what we're celebrating and uh, the kind of the, the core of the Christmas story. I love that. Thank you so much. That's Jeff Bilbro. Um, He is, among other things, a professor at Grove City College. He posts at the Front Porch Republic, which is where you can find his, I think we're going to call it a blog. Um, Is that the right lingo for the water dipper? Is that the right lingo? I think so. I think you can call it a blog. You can find it all at jeffbilbro.com. And we're giving away a couple of copies of Jeff's book today. So go ahead and text the word book to 877-933-2484. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. All right, I'm going to run through um, a few international headlines really quickly here in anticipation of our conversation um, in just a moment with Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News. All right, in Honduras, the election results are in. They have elected a new president, and um, the person contending on the conservative side has conceded. So we will be watching that unfold. Barbados is no longer subject to the queen, but they still have a queen. There's a new queen in Barbados. Just imagine that for just a moment. The island nation officially became a parliamentary republic yesterday, separating its ties with the U.K. and Queen Elizabeth. Uh, They have celebrated by recognizing their new president, Mia Motley. There you go. That's what's going on in Barbados. Um, Negotiations over lifting economic sanctions on Iran Uh, Remember those um, conversations about Iran's nuclear program, um, about, you know, re-restarting all of that? Well, Iran is still angry with the U.S. for withdrawing from the previous deal and refusing to meet directly with them. European diplomats are relaying messages between America and the Iranian officials in separate hotels. So that's what's going on in terms of Iran negotiations. Uh, In terms of Russia, Nord Stream 2 is the new natural gas pipeline stretching from Germany to Russia um, uh, via the Baltic Sea. You're going to hear a lot about this. It's a 756-mile-long tube. It would double the annual supply of gas from Russia to the EU, um, but it would also render all of those pipelines running through the Ukraine uh, as unnecessary. So um, this is just a huge conversation about uh geopolitics and gas and access and Russia. Um, In Afghanistan, uh, there are many things to report on, including there are actually some students going back to school, and some of those students are girls. That is uh, wonderful to note. But we are also learning that hundreds of people who served alongside the U.S. military um, are now missing, unaccounted for, and presumed dead since the withdrawal at the end of August where we left them behind. Yeah, we knew those stories were coming. Um, It's also a nation now facing famine. All right, next up, Ruth Kramer is going to join us. She is going to bring us up to speed on some things happening in other places around the world. You are listening to Mornings with Carmen. Michael grew up in a great home. Mom and dad were both attentive, caring, and wanted the best for him. 
But when Michael entered high school, their good intentions morphed into something they never intended. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. Michael's mom was involved in everything he did. He couldn't make a mistake without his mother jumping in and fixing it. He didn't have to be responsible. His mother covered it all. That led to a crisis when Michael was 16. He completely shut down and resorted to unhealthy behavior just to get his mom off his back. Smothering our sons always backfires. Mom, take a deep breath and begin backing off. Your son will never grow up if he never feels any pain. Find books and other resources online at parentingtodaysteens.org. That's parentingtodaysteens.org. To boldly go where no one has gone before. Joining me now, Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News. You can find everything we're talking about today at missionnews.org. Ruth, welcome back. Thank you. Good morning and happy post-Thanksgiving and happy Advent. It's such a long list of, um, right, like happy December, happy Advent, happy, yeah, happy, happy, happy. And yet when we look at what's going on around the world, um, many headlines that drive us to our knees. Um, why don't you take us uh, for, you know, for our start today Why don't you take us to Pakistan? Yeah, Pakistan has uh, been a hot spot of a lot of different things. Um, And of course, anytime you deal with uh, what's perceived as blasphemy, it touches off a very strong reaction. In this situation, a man who has um, some mental illness burned a page with Quranic verses on it, and that touched off a mob of thousands who were protesting um, what he had done, and police had taken him into custody because of the the blasphemy situation. Um, And what wound up happening was a standoff between the mob of thousands and police, and the mob actually burned a police station down in four outposts in their protest and in their effort to try to get hold of this guy. Their intent was to burn him like he burned the Quran. Um, Again, this is one of those situations that starts with a a rumor and it spreads word of mouth and it's in a very extremist part of of Pakistan right near the Afghanistan border. So this is an area that is already kind of a hotbed um, and it just takes a spark to set that tinder alight. And they're still trying to calm things down. Um, There are 30 people who've been arrested in connection with inciting a mob or a riot. Um, But again, this is kind of one of those situations where while on the face of it, that sounds good. um, The situation has been that Pakistan's government has not really been able to take control of the extremists that that are really running rampant throughout the country. A lot of that is connected to the the TLP. Uh, It's the Tariq al-Abiyak Uh, I'm probably slaughtering that. It's the TLP movement within the country. Uh, And it's kind of a violent religious extremist organization with really strong political backing. So this is a situation that faces believers who are often accused of um, blaspheming either the Prophet Muhammad or blaspheming the Quran or something in the course of discussing their faith in an open way with uh, people who are Um, falling on the more uh, extremist side of Islam. Um, Our partner is FMI, and uh, uh, Brother Nehemiah has been in touch with folks in the area 
and he says it's still pretty tense. So we're asking you to join us in praying for the situation just to kind of calm down, but also that the believers who are in this uh, this region that's all stirred up right now, that they would be bold in uh, living out their faith and courageous and that God would give them the supernatural ability to speak truth into situations like this, especially because uh, these are life-threatening situations and things are so hot right now that even opening your mouth and saying, I'm not a Muslim, could get you into trouble. I'm wondering, Ruth, you know, as we so freely um, have, I mean, we decorate our homes for Christmas, we put on Christmas sweaters, we expect there to be Christmas music everywhere we go. It's really hard for us to imagine what this season is like for Christians in places in the world where, you know, being a Christian, it's not just that it's unpopular, it could it could well get you killed. Um, when you when you pray for Christians around the world, knowing, you know, knowing so intimately many of um, our brothers and sisters serving in these places, are there are there specific ways that you pray for them, particularly, you know, during seasons like this? You know, one thing that comes to mind is that they ask us to pray that they would not be silenced, that they would have the courage to speak boldly because they come into the Christmas season in full celebration. They are celebrating the gift of Jesus Christ, the change that Christ introduced to allow us to, to have fellowship with our Heavenly Father. Um, you know, there there is something very, very different about the circumstances of the gospel that do, does not exist uh, in Islam, that does not exist in uh, any of the other uh, religions or, or uh, political systems that we hear about that, that foster that kind of extremism. So when someone walks away from that kind of a, a what they would feel is an oppressive kind of a, a weight, they are in full celebration about the freedom that hope in Jesus Christ brings. Um, they know what the risk is. So when they are out there, you know, publicly speaking their faith or getting baptized, they are they are fully aware of what they're doing. They're committing 150 percent to being a follower of Jesus Christ, in spite of the fact they know it could bring some severe circumstances. Our contact is Brother Nehemiah from FMI, and uh, he's got fatwa on his head. Those are death marks in Pakistan. Mm-hmm. So if he goes back to, to Pakistan— or when he goes back to Pakistan, um, he knows that there are people who are looking to kill him because of his activity in uh, shepherding pastors, in in really helping to foster uh, leadership development and, and gospel understanding uh, within Pakistan. Um, and in spite of the fact that he has uh, taken his family to the United States on a religious visa, uh, Nehemiah goes back to Pakistan often, three, four, five times a year. And there have been a couple of times when he's been arrested and he just disappears for 24 hours and we don't know if we're going to hear from him again. But his his whole thing, when you talk to him and you say, why would you go back knowing that you know people are looking out for you, that they haven't forgotten, that they really do want to kill you? He said, people still need to hear about Jesus. Pakistan needs Jesus. Mm. And, you know, and hearing him say that uh, is a completely different thing from when I say it. Um, these are his people. They are his heart and his passion. He wants them to be entered into uh, the relationship that exists when when you have a savior, when you're redeemed, when you have value and worth from the creator, 
of the universe. Um, this is kind of one of those things where, you know, we talk about persecution and people say, wow, it's such a downer. But you got to look at the big picture of what this looks like, that there are people who enter into uh, following Jesus Christ, knowing what the cost is going to be, but do it anyway and do it joyfully because of the hope that that the gospel brings, because of all of that representation of um, something that's so much bigger than what they understood life to be beforehand, because they understand value and worth, and they understand what that kind of love looks like, because nobody's loved them that way before. Hmm. Ruth, that is beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, do you understand your value and your worth, the, the value and the worth that God places on you in Jesus Christ? I mean, let's consider the hope that we have in him this day. We're talking with Ruth Kramer. We'll visit some other headlines posted at missionnews.org in just a moment. Mary, did you know We're talking with Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News. You can find what we're discussing discussing at missionnews.org. Um, Ruth, let's turn our attention to Ethiopia. Um, here you have a, a story posted about what's going on with Teach Beyond. Yeah, this is a situation. I mean, just try to imagine uh, a, a, a <laughs> I don't know how to describe this. Imagine if you were... Uh, invested in a group of people um, for education, you know, trying to encourage teachers uh, into how to uh, teach kids through a Christian worldview. And then realizing that all of the stuff that's going on in terms of of a war on the other side of the country is starting to make its way towards the capital. And that pretty soon the capital is going to be cut off and surrounded. So you better start making plans for what it's going to be like to be under siege. That's what Teach Beyond is facing. Um, and the situation here is, of course, the the fight between the Ethiopian government and the uh, Tigray People's Liberation Front. And the rebels, we're going to just call them rebels because it's easier, um, have been advancing on the capital. Their intent is to take over the capital. In the process of all of this, the capital city is of Ethiopia, Addis Ababa, is trying to make preparations uh, to be ready for what they anticipate is going to be a fierce battle or a siege. The prime minister is actually out on the front lines in Ethiopia fighting and leading the charge uh, against the uh, T- uh, TPLF, against the rebels. Um, in fact, the police have been training residents. They've been kind of creating a militia to help patrol the capital and keep an eye out for infiltrators or maybe uh, advanced forces from the rebels uh, just to really try to bolster their forces. Um, so like 147,000 civilian residents have been trained by police to help with the whole situation on preparing Addis Ababa for a siege. Um, and this is the situation. It's very, very tense. It's uh, very nerve wracking. The country has been under a state of emergency since the beginning beginning of November, and that's likely to extend all the way through for another four months. Uh, So it's about a half a year that Ethiopia has declared a state of emergency because of this situation, this threat with the rebels that are uh, looking to take over the capital and take over power here. 
Um, in this situation, it is very difficult for people to move around, uh, to be able to do the things that they were doing, because you just don't know from one day to the next, is today the day the rebels are going to advance? Are they actually going to cut off the roads? Um, they have threatened to cut off the main highway, which brings the supplies in and out of, out of Sababa. And again, they're, they're looking at, you know, um, uh, affecting different things like waterways, uh, just your basic food supplies, your basic medicine, ways to cut off electricity and that kind of thing. We're looking at a situation that has been building for months. And now we're looking at this last bit of uh, bit of time before the the, I guess, first attacks begin. Teach Beyond has evacuated a lot of staff. Uh, they have closed down some of the programs within the, the capital city because they're trying to uh, keep their staff uh, safe as much as possible. That is expat and people who have come in from other parts of Ethiopia to train in Addis Ababa. So uh, right now what they're doing is just going all online. Uh, the city's quiet today and you just don't know when that's going to change. In this situation, teachers are very soft targets. They are oh, uh, not always going to be able to do very much because if the kids can't get together, you you don't have a school. Uh, and not every every family has access to the internet. So online education isn't going to be a thing for most of the kids. So the teachers are, are doing as much training as possible online so that they are prepared to respond once the, the siege lifts once uh, things settle back down and they can get the kids back in school, they know that there's going to be a lag time uh, and, a, and a severe disruption to education. In this situation, uh, we're talking about Christian worldview. We're talking about teachers who have committed their lives to following Christ, but also to discipling the children. So there's a ministry aspect of this too. And it's hard to stay focused when you have this threat that's hanging over you for just an uh, undetermined amount of time. Be praying for the staff for from Teach Beyond who are working in Ethiopia because um, it's a very stressful situation. I want to read the um, the walk-off paragraphs of, of this particular article. Um, in the midst of this ongoing conflict, there's more than 9 million people who need to survive. Aid groups can only reach a small fraction of them because of the fighting. So let us commit to pray for peace in Ethiopia. And then there um, there are these quotes um, in, included in the article, and this is all at missionnews.org. It's a country that gets on their knees and prays. Christians, Orthodox, Evangelicals, we come together as a body, believers praying for peace. Ethiopians are such resilient people. They have lived through this on and off over the last uh, decades. Uh, that's plural. Um, use the prompts listed alongside this report to guide your intercession and pray the stories that come out of the media. Uh, pray that the stories that come out in the media are balanced. We don't know what to believe anymore. It would be great to have a balanced perspective so we know how to pray better. It's very confusing for us who want to pray right now um, because we don't really know who the good guys and the bad guys are. So I am praying prayers of discernment that God would um, that God would open their eyes, that God would reveal truth, that God would keep them safe, that God would provide opportunity for them to continue in this ministry. And I am um, praying the news today in relationship to Ethiopia for my brothers and sisters in Christ who are um, who are still there seeking to uh, you know serve on Christ's behalf. Ruth, we don't um, we don't really have time sufficient to cover. Um, in depth, the uh, the news out of Afghanistan. So why don't you give us the top line? 
Well, this is a story that we got from our partner World Mission about a pastor who wanted to encourage other believers in Afghanistan. Not everybody's leaving, and they they stay in country knowing what the risk is. Uh, this particular pastor is a partner with World Mission, and he realized that the threat to his family was real. So he sent his wife and his daughter out of the country, and he stayed in, in country to continue to minister. And while uh, well, he, he got wind that the Taliban had found his location and they were coming for him. So he decided he was going to use his last moments to exhort fellow believers, recorded a video message, and, and he was just, you know, encouraging Christians to be bold and to be courageous in Jesus's name. And as he's recording this with a smile on his face, you know, he's filled with the joy of the Lord. You can hear in the background the doors being pounded on. The Taliban have found him. And this is probably these are probably his last moments on earth. And he is still pouring forth encouragement and hope in Jesus Christ. Um, we don't have an end to that story because we don't really know what happened. We can guess, but it's just a sermon, you know, it's a guess. Um, in this situation, though, take courage and be in be uh, <laughs> I don't want to use the same word in the same sentence. Take courage from his example. Mm-hmm. Amen. And, and pray prayers of encouragement um, for people like this. Ruth Kramer, thank you so much, um, as always, for joining us. Uh, the reason that we um, invite Ruth to share with us is not so that we can all become depressed, um, but so that we can all become fervent in our prayers, so that we can know what is happening with our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world. These are the people with whom we are going to spend eternity. And what they are doing matters eternally. Um, So, Ruth, thank you, as always, for joining us. Thank you for reminding us of the hope of the gospel that really does change everything. And thank you for bringing us the stories of changed people who are on the front lines of change around the world. We deeply appreciate it. You guys can find all of these stories and so much more at missionnews.org. We'll be right back. All right, I want to encourage us to be opening the Word of God today. Where in the Word are you today? I am in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. I am not only participating in our reading through the Bible, through the Gospel of Luke, during the month of December here at Faith Radio, which you can join in at MyFaithRadio.com. I am also uh, reading through my colleague Susie Larson's wonderful Advent devotional that is based on the Gospel of Luke. And so uh, here at our home, we are, we are also reading the Prepare Him Room devotional alongside um, our readings in the Gospel of Luke. It's a lot of reading. It's a lot of praying. And it's so worthy. Where in the Word are Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.